Um, I'm going to begin just as a little introduction on the topic of sin, more specifically, how you overcome sin. And actually, I'm reminded of the anecdote uh, that was told about uh, someone who came back from a service, and that someone was asked, what did the preacher preach about? And he said, oh, it's something about, something about sin. And how was that? He said, well, I think the general gist is after 45 minutes, he was against it. Um, and so actually, you've, we've got about 10 minutes, uh, five, 10 minutes. I just want to lay out a few things before we do that. And we're going to do that um, not next week, but for the seven following weeks, talk about how we overcome the seven deadly sins. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I sent out an email with a reading list on it. This just it happens to be a green card. It just happens to come out the photocopy like that. But on that are a whole series of suggestions of books and resources, some of them videos, some of them audio tapes, that actually in your own time, you can take some time to think about, how do I grow in my own relationship with God? If you just tip up here on a Sunday, it's great. We love having you. We love all the part. But actually, that quiet work you do of finding some resources, a book, ask a friend, see if you find anything on the book list that actually is worth listening to. Fascinating, the BBC I've done a series on something similar, but they've called it The Seven Deadly Psychologies, I think, which is a very sort of modern reinterpretation. But there's some really interesting things in that about how the world might sit and how we sit, but so do um, have a look at that. But let me just pray before we... Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are love. You are love, and perfect love drives out fear. And so we welcome you this morning. We welcome you over this next series of weeks that we won't get more bound, but we'll be freed by a God of love. Would you help us to open our hearts to you so you can change us and to make us more like you? In Jesus' name, amen. The Times newspaper, I've quoted this before, famously, or it might be anecdotally, because there's slightly dubious uh, kind of evidence that it took place. Uh, and it's led an opinion that at the turn of the 20th century, people were feeling bleak, people were overwhelmed by the problems of the world, and they wrote out the great artists, the great universities, the great thinker, the great philosophers, and said, what's wrong with the world? And people were invited to submit their response. You know, they did, but G.K. Chesterton, the Christian writer and author, said essentially what David said. Dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. I am. I am. Do you know, a huge amount of our energy and our time, emotional, spiritual, physical, whatever it is, is judging the failings of others. You know, our politicians, our leaders, our wives, the council, our ex-husbands, our grandparents, our neighbours, our children, our politicians, our leaders, 
I've said that before. The England cricket team. I've got quite a lot to say about the England cricket team, strangely. Yet how comfortable, honestly, are we under the microscope? What's the state of this? Our hearts. How are we avoiding the temptation to take the specks out of everybody else's eyes and ignoring the logs in mine and yours? Are we a church that hungers for righteousness? As we begin this series looking about how we overcome sin, the word being overcome rather than sin, it's worth acknowledging right up that our culture struggles with the notion of sin and the existence of God. In a sense, sin used to be a terrifying word, dreadful and dangerous, but now it's changed from a Rottweiler into a poodle, you could argue. We sort of slightly smirk at the idea of sin. It's a bit old-fashioned. And actually, you know, it's naughty, but nice, isn't it? Am I really harming anybody? Am I? But there's a reason sin was taken so seriously in the past, and that's because it's this. It's destructive. It's absolutely destructive. It destroys families, destroys relationships, destroys happiness, peace, innocence, love. Sin destroys love. Destroy, destroys our security and destroys our very environment, our, na- our nature around us. Sin puts us all at sea. Spending time and, and leaving us to a life of Misery and pain, however you understand that, about guilt and shame and all the other, other things that go with it and things far bigger than that. In 1 Peter 2, actually we haven't had the reading, have we, Laurie? I haven't even got to that. I've just started with that, you doing the reading. Anyway, we might come back to that second. In 1 Peter 2, uh, Peter writes this, he says, the sim- talks about the sinful desires that war against the soul. So in the Bible, sin isn't just about what's wrong. It's about what's destructive, including what's destroying ourselves. But it's self-destructive. Sin wages a constant, subtle, undermining warfare against ourselves. And why don't we have the Bible reading that I've conveniently forgotten to bring? Laurie, are you all right to bring it? Yep. It's 1 Peter 2, 1 to 12. These are Jeanette's glasses, because I didn't have mine, so. Um, so this is one, uh, Peter 2, verses 1 to 12, on page 1218. Um, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good the living stone and a chosen people. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, 
offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Living godly lives in a pagan society. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's the context for the verse uh, we talked about. What I want to say too, as well as a very Christian understanding of what sin is, actually our culture passionately cares about right and wrong. Uh, everywhere I go, I find people who are passionate about what is right or wrong, about justice and injustice, about failure and others' failure, about what it is and what's right and what's true. And we do recognize, even outside this building, outside our understanding, we recognize that wrong behavior causes damage, that we cause damage to other people, I hadn't actually watched on the right is the TV series Traitors, which has been going on and has become very popular in the last few months. That almost celebrates what it means to, to lie and betray, about what it means to be a person of truth and what it means to be a person who lies. And is that important? On the, on the left, as you look, I saw this week a film just out called One Life, harrowing tale, harrowing tale of... Um, Saving 670 Jewish children from the Czech Republic. The story of Nicholas Winton. Do you know, you don't need to look very far to see that there's a problem. But here's the problem with sin. I want to suggest to you this morning that this is the problem with sin. Can anybody tell me what this is? If you go to the next slide. Anybody say to me again? Tim speeding. So this is the problem with sin. This little yellow car that I was going too fast on the Wellsway somewhere. Still don't know where it was. It was a car that did it. Car that did. I didn't even know there was a bus lane there that you shouldn't go down. Still down. I'm still trying to justify my sin before you this morning. When I next get the Wellsway, I'll try and find out where it is I did drive and should have driven. But that's the problem, isn't it? 
I sort of make light of it. There's some laws. There's a lot of laws in our country. And now we get it wrong. We break it. Sometimes we know we break it. Sometimes we don't. It's the car's fault. We know we're transgressing. We don't know we're transgressing. Slightly funny. But then the deep gets more personal though, doesn't it? Because if we're on the receiving end in our current culture of sexism, of racism, of homophobia, of abuse, of neglect, I'll show you a life that's dominated by those things. I'll show you a life where the cause is the effect of our behavior and treatment has a massive difference and destroys lives to a degree. And one of the reasons we're looking at the seven deadly sins is that people have reflected on this for the last 15 centuries. So there's 1,500 years worth of reflection and thinking about what it means. And you may be sat here about what it means to be virtuous and what it means to be full of vice, whether that matters and what they are and what difference it makes. So people have been writing about it and reflecting on it for years. So my, my encouragement to you this morning is this. You may feel it's a bit old-fashioned. You may be sat there quietly this morning thinking it doesn't apply to me. But I want to encourage you, please don't be like the boy who went into the attic and found a Rembrandt and threw it out because it wasn't colourful enough. We're called as Christians to shine brightly in the world. And in our journey to Easter, we're going to take a bit of time to think about how we can be a people and a church who help people get free. We want to see each other free. And it's one of the most joyful things that Sheila shared in her prayers, to know you've been released, you've been forgiven, you've been cleansed. It's an incredibly joyful thing to know that you've been set free, that you were captive and now you're no longer captive. So sin, briefly, a couple of things to say this morning. Sin isn't just about breaking the rules. And it, the question obviously asks is, whose rules are those anyway? It's not just a legal term, it's a relational term too. Laws exist to protect what's good in our society, about marriages, family, commit, communities, and peace. Laws are vital for the protection of what its essence is good. So it may be more interesting or thoughtful over the next number of weeks to think about sin as destructive habits. It's not necessarily about just right and wrong. And one of the things of this is this, is that sin essentially isolates us. God always intended life to be lived together. And sin isolates us from others and the world, destroys unity, and the world needs to find the power to overcome that. It longs for peace, longs for family, longs for unity, but it's elusive. It's like sand that falls through the fingers. Our hearts long for it, but we can't get there. In our culture at the minute, lust, anger, and pride, a combination of lust, anger, and pride, will get you what you want, but you'll be very alone. Alienated from people, alienated from God, and our place in the world. So in a sense, if you look at some of the secular writing around sin, sin, in a sense, has been tried to be rehabilitated. And that's, if you look, so for example, lust, envy, and greed is a combination. 
Take those three, lust, envy, and greed, sell stuff. We've discovered this, actually, if we feed on those, actually, we can sell lots of good things, and actually, we love it. We love consuming stuff. Sin isn't bad. We like more of it. It's attractive. Sin isn't just negative. It's really, really attractive, and that's why it's so difficult, because the goodness gets out of shape. It's not evil in itself in one sense. And as we discover the light of God's love and God's goodness for us, so I hope we'll see the, that actually God disempowers and cancels and breaks the power of sin. Jesus says some very bold things about the human condition, the freedom he brings. Paul builds on that to say this. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So my prayer over these next number of weeks is that we send sin to the foot of the cross in exchange for the bright landscape of God's goodness, God's beauty, God's love, God's power, God's strength, bringing sin into the light. At Laurie's baptism, we said, fight valiantly as a disciple of Christ against sin, the world, and the devil. That remains the calling, one of the callings on every Christian's life. Knowing your enemy in sport, knowing your opposition, will help you how to overcome. We're asking God to get to the roots of our lives, not just to deal with all the branches in our lives. We've invested in our culture so much into social, psychological, medical research, that often our default position as Christians is what the world does, which is go to all those things in our culture. Medical, psychological, our DNA, which leaves us sort of slightly passive to what God says, what God wants to do in our hearts and our lives. So this spring, my hope and my prayer is that we open our hearts to God to discover God's greater freedom that is our inheritance as his children, a God who loves to set the captive free. Our longing and our desire is that we would all shine brightly for Jesus today and over the coming months discover more of the magnitude of God's love who sets us free. Let me pray, and then we're just going to worship together. Would you like to stand, actually? Actually, if you want to close your eyes, just for a moment, just before we respond in worship, we've just got a little bit of time. Um, if you'd like to do this, you don't have to do this, but if you'd like to do this, you'd just like put your hand on your heart. And I'm just going to say a prayer from Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn... If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. 
If I say, or even this morning, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Search us, Lord, come amongst us, we pray. Pray, Lord, that we would have open hearts, open lives, open minds to all you want for us, all you long for us. Thank you, Father, that you love us with a love that never fails. In Jesus' name, amen.